0: Good morning, Boker Tov. I want to thank our sponsors for our parsha class this morning, Dr. Zilana and Juliana Rosenblatt for a full schlema for Yisrael. Meir. Ben Daphne Buriya should have a speedy and complete recovery. Also, uh, next week, Rabbi Maskut and I will both be at a rabbinic conference, so there will be no parsha class next week. You could go online, RabbiEfronGoldberg.org, and listen to previous uh, classes on parshas and more. We are we have the privilege this morning of studying parshas Kedoshim together. It's page six hundred. And 56 in the Arts Girl Stone, Chomish. And uh, I want to try to do an overview of the parsha and come back to the very beginning. This morning, spend some time analyzing and studying the opening word, Kedoshim. What does Kedoshim mean? What is the mission? What is this charge? What is this mandate really all about? But let's get through some of the rest of the parsha first. Really an incredible parsha, replete with uh, mitzvot, most of whom focus on uh, the relationships between man and our fellow man, the relationships that govern how to have an ethical and a just and a kind society. So the parasha begins, kedoshim. we'll come back to it, and immediately it jumps, A person has to honor their father and their mother. And in the very same breath, in the same pasuk, we're told not only to honor a mother and father, sorry, not honor, this pasuk is not covered, but tira'u. Is to have, yira is, often translated as fear. But do any of us as parents really want our children to fear us? Maybe when they're young, maybe when they're young, we want them to be obedient, we want them to be disciplined, and so we want them to have a healthy dose of fear. But a mature relationship with children is not founded on fear. What's it founded on? What's a better translation of yira? awe. We want children to have an awe and a reverence of us and our lifestyle and our values and our ideals and a desire to emulate, to be similar to them. And so it's a much more accurate translation, not fear, but rather a sense of awe. What's interesting is that the Passach lumps together and juxtaposes in some ways ishimo vaviv tiro mother and father have awe of and keep Shabbos. What does one thing have to do with the other? Sometimes we see Shabbos juxtaposed with the mikdash, the Mishkan. Now we see Shabbos juxtaposed with honoring or having awe the relationship with parents. What's the connection? What's the connection between the two? So, first of all, it's interesting. The Gemara already points out that we have mother before father when it comes to awe and kaved s. Avicha ve'esimecha, father before mother, when it comes to respect. And the Gemara says, why? Because, and there are exceptions to every rule, including this one, but on the whole, a child feels the nurturing, the love, the affection of a mother, and therefore responds with greater respect, reciprocates that love. So the Torah has to say, don't forget to also love your father. Don't forget to be affectionate towards your father. And a child more naturally is inclined to have awe of the father. The father often is a greater disciplinarian. The father is the law and order parent. The father, as the mother will remind the father, that's because the father has the luxury of not interacting as often, as much, so can swoop in with greater rules and discipline and consequences and accountability. So the child is more predisposed and inclined to feel a sense of awe. So the Torah has to put the mother here. In other words, the Torah responds to the predispositions of the human psyche to whom we would more likely be inclined to have awe and tells us to put the other first, to more we'd be more inclined to have respect. But why the juxtaposition? Why the connection between the two? Ishi mova vivti rau the eshab so sai So Rashi tells us. Why is the juxtaposition provided? Because even though we have a mandate to honor and to have all of parents, and we have to jump. Parents say jump, we say how high? It's a jump to be responsive to parents. But if a parent says, eat non-kosher, violate the Shabbos, then... Putting our honor of Hashem supersedes the honor of a parent, and that's the reason it's juxtaposed. We're not going to go into it now, though this would be the week to talk about it, given that tonight, uh, tomorrow, Yom HaZikaron, followed by Yom Atzmaut. But how far do we take that Torah telling us, don't listen to a parent if it comes in the face of a mitzvah? What about certain sort of subjective mitzvahs? You are attracted to that person, you want to take them as a spouse, and your parent says, I object I object to the shidduch. I object to the spouse. Is a parent entitled to object to a shidduch? Which comes first, listening to your parent or listening to your own neshama? Can a parent dictate where a child should live? Can a parent interfere with the shalom bias of a child if the parent tries to interfere with their children, grandchildren? What about if a child wants to make aliyah And a parent objects. I once heard, I recently heard a speaker, my niece's new father-in-law in in Israel, was giving a shir, Rabbi Alex Israel, and he mentioned uh, someone he knew whose child made Aliyah was very sad. And the child said, you know, you sent me to Bnei Akiva every Shabbos afternoon. And the parent said, I didn't believe in that. I just wanted to have a nap every Shabbos afternoon. (laughs) I wanted a nap and you made Aliyah? So... What happens? The parent comes along and says, yeah, we went to the Israel Day Parade, and we went to the annual Yom Atzimut celebration, and we wore the Kovatembo and Kachov Lavan and blue and white cookies, but you can't take my grandchildren to Israel. You have to stay right here in Tinec or the five towns of Boca. It's a mitzvah. You have to stay here. You can't go to Israel. That's not the mitzvah. So what happens in a conflict between honoring your parents and making Aliyah? We've given a whole shir about this in the past. I'm sure you could find it somewhere on my website. Because while it seems black and white and cut and dry from our Pasuk, Torah says that you have to have all of your parents, but shab so If they're asking you to do something in conflict with a mitzvah, then you don't listen to them. So in that shear, first we established, is it a mitzvah to move to Israel? If it is a mitzvah, it should be obvious that therefore you don't listen to your parents. However there is a medrash which says, when Avram, when Avram was instructed to leave his parents' home in order to journey to Israel, why did he have to be given a command if not for the fact that the default is, otherwise you wouldn't be allowed to leave your parents to make Aliyah. The fact that Avram needed the instruction made it the exception. But the rule is, you can't leave your parents to make Aliyah. So what is the nature? We went through some tshuvas. It's a good question, but not for now. But it all comes from this pasuk. So the first answer: Why the juxtaposition between honor all of a parent with observing Shabbos? Rashi says we learn from here when there's a conflict between honoring our parents and the fulfillment and the observance of a mitzvah. Of course, our collective father supersedes our biological mother and father. That's Rashi. The Imrechaim division of Rebbe has a homiletical interpretation. AP he says very interestingly the following Yesh lidrosh even everything he says is a drusha but this he even says yesh lidrosh you can darshe smuchen bistemetzosaylu ki mitzvos ki barav ei mitzvos why do you have to honor your mother and father why do you have to have all of your mother and father we are all blessed with the greatest mothers and fathers. But there are people whose mothers and fathers, we're not the model citizens. We're not necessarily people who should be held on a pedestal or turned to with honor and awe. So why do we, universally, why do we, everyone has a mitzvah to honor and have all of parents? We don't evaluate. Well, let's see, your mother on a scale of 1 to 10, your father on a scale of 1 to 10, we'll figure out whether they deserve honor. We say, And, so why do we have to honor them? Sefer Gemaran writes, Because when we honor our parents, we're honoring the Rebona Shilolam. Hashem says, If you honor your mother and father, I will consider it as if you honored me. And if you dishonor your mother and father, I will consider it as if you've dishonored, or in short, for the young people, as if you've dissed me. As if you've dishonored, as if you've dissed me. Why is HaKadosh Baruch who intertwined with them? Can't we separate it out? My relationship with my parents has nothing to do with my relationship with God. My relationship with God has nothing to do with my relationship with my parents. Why does Hashem, why does the Gemara, why does intertwine the two? So the Sefer HaKadosh explains very simply. Because how are they connected? Both represent where you came from and both represent the Hakaras Satov, the gratitude that you should have towards them. We would not be here literally without our mother and father. We wouldn't be here without the Ribbon HaShalom. What they both have in common, what earns them the honor and the awe, is not necessarily, not in Hashem's case, but our parents, is not necessarily their character their behavior. What earns them the honor and awe is that we would not be here without them. We are utterly dependent on them. And it's an expression of gratitude to treat them therefore. And we've given this example before. If a person passed out and had a massive heart attack and someone revived them, would you say, I was going to buy you a gift, Mm -hmm. but you know, on a scale of one to ten, you speak a lot of Lashonara, you come late to Minya, you talk to your indavan, you don't get staka, I don't have to get you anything. You'd say, you saved my life. I'm not really evaluating right now your character, who you are, whether you should be honored at the shul dinner. That's for the board to decide. I'm only here to say thank you because you saved my life. I wouldn't be here without you. So when we look at our lives, our parents did more than save our life, they gave us life. And they had a third partner. The third partner, the senior partner, is the Almighty, is the Ribbon Hashan. So Hashem says, if you can pause to express some gratitude, to realize that you didn't come to being ex nihilo, you didn't come to be something from nothing, you were created, you had a creator, you had a partnership, a three-way partnership, a mother, a father, and Hashem who brought you into being, stop, pause, and say thank you. And when you say thank you to them, Hashem says, I consider it as if you said thank you to me. And if you can't say thank you, you have too much hubris and ego and arrogance and attitude, and you need to feel independent that you can't even stop and say thank you to them then you're certainly not going to ever be able to say thank you to me. So the relationships are intertwined, and it all stems from a sense of gratitude. So it says the Vishnitzar Rebbe, the Imre that the whole nature of the mitzvah of Kivar is a mitzvah sikhli. You don't have to be a religious personality. You don't have to live a faith-based life in order to realize that you should have gratitude to your parents. It's a rational mitzvah. Why? They were good to you. They brought you life. They saved your life. Be good to them. So now you understand, says the Mrechaim, the end of the Pasuk. Kamochaim Shabbos Kodesh, Mechalkels, Kol Yimos Hachol. is Aminem Izbarachin Vegamkan, Mechayiv Hasecha, Lishmora Shabbos. The same way parents nurture and nourish and sustain and give us life, Shabbos nourishes, nurtures, and sustains the days of the week. So therefore, recognize what your parents do for you, and recognize what Shabbos does for the week. It's geshmak. No, drush, hamalatikol. Ishimov Aviv Rau. Stop and realize what your parents do for you. Veshab so Tishmaru, And in your week, stop and realize what Shabbos does for the week. That we draw our nourishment, our sustenance, our serenity, our well-being. All is drawn from is drawn from Shabbos. So we saw Rashi. We saw the Imre Chaim. B'sal Avetchik has a third interpretation. Why the juxtaposition or why the connection? And not only that, it's really between the three. It's parents, it's Hashem, and then we also have the Mora Mikdash, the responsibility of the attitude we bring towards the Besa Mikdash, which the Gemara says applies to a Mikdash Ma'at, not just to the central Mikdash, the Besa Mikdash, should be rebuilt speedily in our day, but the Mikdash Ma'at, our shuls, which are temples in miniature. We also have an obligation, the attitude and the mentality uh, and how we conduct ourselves while we're there. So what is the connection between the three? Says Rabbi Salavechik. He says, Mora is a characteristic that applies solely to God. Giving reverence to a moral, mortal being borders on the blasphemous. If so, why did the Torah command us to revere our parents? Moreover, the Torah commands us to display reverence towards an object, as is the case with the mikdash. So reverence should exclusively be the domain of Hashem. And here he's sharing it. Here we are charged with having reverence towards human beings and towards a physical object, a building, the mikdash. How is it possible? It says, the Gemara Yaval states, One is not to revere the mikdash, but him who commanded us regarding the sanctuary. Likewise, expressing Yira for a parent is tantamount to showing Yira to Hashem. The Gemara Extension says, Rav Yosef would stand when he heard his mother's footsteps, saying that he was standing for the divine presence he heard approaching. Rav Yosef wrote it out of awe and reverence, which he was obligated to show Hashem. I walked into my house the other day. A bunch of my kids were lying on the couch. Each of them lost in their technology. I said, hello. Nothing. I said, hi. Nothing. I said, I'm dying. I need help. Nobody looked up. Finally, I screamed. I said, you know, the halacha is you have to stand when I walk in a room. I'm mocha the standing, but I'm not Mochal that you can't look at me and say hello back. I have amazing children, so that's not a true story, of course, but <laughs> it's a very true story. I'm under-exaggerating the story. So, so, Mora commands the attitude that we bring towards parents. He, Rav Yosef, when he heard his mother's footsteps, would jump, put down his technology, and jump. He rose out of awe and reverence. The same awe and reverence Who would practice towards Hashem. He showed towards his parents. The divine presence is also contracted into the Mikdash. Visits us on the great and holy day of Shabbos and is embodied in each father and mother. When a child shows reverence for his parents, he's expressing reverence for Hashem. Shabbos reverence for parents and reverence for the Mikdash are thus connected. All having the common theme, fulfilling of the mitzvah results in an expression of Yura for the Shechina. In other words, through Shabbos, through the Mikdash, and through our parents, we find Hashem. We're searching, we're yearning, we're looking. You can't see or feel Hashem. It's hard to develop that relationship. So where do we find Him? We find Him in the sanctity of Shabbos. We find Him in the sanctity of the Mikdash. Famously, the Mikdash is a sanctuary in space. Shabbos is a sanctuary in time. And the embodiment of our parents, the the notion, there are people who are greater, who came before, and on whom we rely and are dependent. And through each of those three relationships, we find Hashem. But Rabbi Salavitch continues, this is the point I want to draw your attention to. He says, fear and love are mutually contradictory, but awe and love do not negate each other. On the contrary, they're entwined with each other. A great personality can bring about feelings of love and awe at the same time. When the storm of loving overpowers the lover and draws him to love, it also reveals the awe, which is a love as fierce as death. This sometimes takes the form of silent suffering. I love the other and yearn for him because of his greatness and majesty, but his valuation also leads to the retreat of the lesser one in the face of the greater one. Coming closer leads to an axiological diminishing of one's self-image. Love contains uh, equality of value, but also the negation of value. So he says, that's why these are juxtaposed. The son does not fear his kind father, or gentle mother, and the Torah has never commanded us to fear our parents. The Emphasis is on the reverence interwoven with enlightened, appropriate love. So fear and love are contradiction. But awe and love are complementary. So don't mistranslate. There's no mitzvah to fear parents. There's a mitzvah to have awe of parents. Because the mitzvah is to find emotions that are complementary. Love and awe. Just like with Hashem, the higher level is not fear. How do you fear Hashem and love Him at the same time? The higher level is love and awe. The two which are intertwined together. Okay, so three interpretations of why the juxtaposition why does the Torah say Shab Sosai Tishmaru? Why the plural? Should should be in the singular. Shab Sosai means the two Shabbases. So the Slala says it stands for Shamar b There are two aspects, there are two components to Shabbos. There's the positive what I do, Kidish and Havdalah, and there's the Zacher, the third and nine categories of creative labor. Some excel at one without the other. Some are not so careful with the los assays, with the 39 categories of creative labor, but they tap into the spirituality and the beauty and the zachor of Shabbos. Others, they're hung up on the minutia and the details of the 39 acts of creative labor, but Shabbos is bereft of spirituality, of connecting to Hashem, of living in a higher level. Our responsibility is shab Sosai. We are charged with observing both components of Shabbos, simultaneously. Shamor v'zachor. Zachor v'shamor. They were b'basachas. They were said b'diborecha. They were said at once. Because both are critical to create the result of really experiencing the most authentic Shabbos. The minutia, the details, the, the laws matter. They are the way we achieve the higher goal. But the higher goal is not to be lost in the laws and minutia as an ends to themselves, but they create a climate and an environment which enables a sense of zakhor. Disconnect in order to connect, to rest, to retreat, to be present, to be mindful, to be with the people in our lives that matter, to reflect on that which matters and to be able to re-energize and rejuvenate for the week ahead. So we have to find that balance of zakhor shabbat. Rabbi says shab so the plural, refers to something else. We have two themes to Shabbos. What are they? Zecher. Lamasa Boracius and Zecher. Litzias Mitzrayim. On the one hand, Shabbos, we celebrate creation, creativity, innovation, and we celebrate creation and creativity by refraining, abstaining from creative labor. Hashem, you created and then you stopped for the seventh day. We too work. There's a mandate and a mission, we discussed this earlier this year. To work. Work is not a concession. From a Torah perspective, work is a calling. We have a value to work. So we work like Hashem, six days, and then rest. And so the resting is from not labor. Malacha is, Diane Grunfeld says, the definition of Malacha is creative labor. So we mark creation and creativity by resting and refraining from creative labor. That's Zechel HaMasa What about Zechel Yitzias Mitzrayim? We achieve... Liberty and freedom. We emancipate ourselves all week long. My kids can't even notice I came in the room. If I dropped in the side of the room, I'd be on my own. Shabbos, we are free. We're liberated from technology and from work and from to-do lists. Shabbos we have, Haba, a 24-hour period. We put it all up on a shelf. It'll be waiting for us right after Havdalah. But for 25 hours, a taste of Olam Haba, where we're disconnected from the burden, the routine, the relentless responsibility, the technology, and we're able to be freed. These two themes are in combination with what Shabbos is about, says the Slonim Rebbe. That's why Shabbos so tishmoru, we have to mark and celebrate both aspects, both themes, in order to experience the most authentic Shabbos. Rabbi Soloveitchik has a third interpretation we won't get into, where he quotes the Zohar, not so characteristic of Rabbi Soloveitchik, but the Zohar. The two Shabbos are the Shabbos de la Ela and the Shabbos de la Tata, the supernal Shabbos and the earthly Shabbos, the heavenly Shabbos and the Shabbos down here on earth. But uh, I want to move on, so you can investigate that yourself. Okay, so we start out with relationship with parents and Shabbos. We then turn to do not worship idols. Elohim sechah lo Don't make images ani Hashem one of the themes that comes up in our parsha over and over and over again is a mitzvah and then the why? Because I'm God. Now the because I'm God, how do we interpret that? Is that the old, because I'm your father and I said so? Don't do this, do this. Why, Ani Because I'm God and I said so. Or is there something deeper? Is there something more meaningful? Why, Ani Hold that, we're going to come back to it when we come back to the beginning of the parsha and the kiddoshim to you. Pigul... A law within rejected offerings, you can't have a wrong thought. Why should my thought matter? As long as I do the right act, why should the thought matter? Because thoughts matter. Because your presence, your kavana, your intent, intention matters. We have a responsibility to give gifts to the poor. The Torah here includes that, the obligation. Honest dealings with others. Don't steal, don't lie, don't swear falsely. We have to be a deal honestly with others. Pay workers on time. Don't curse. Lifne iver lositein mechol. Don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. What does this mean? Don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. So, what does it mean? Because I'll interpret it to mean. Not just literally, there's a blind person with their walking stick, don't put your foot out and trip them. But, Chazal, of course, learn from here, don't give bad advice, and don't lure someone into doing something uh, that's not right, that's not good, that's not ethical, that's not correct, that's not halachic. No careless word or act that could endanger the material or the moral welfare of someone else. The iver, the blind person, doesn't have to be physically blind, they could be blind in their judgment or blind in their knowledge or blind in their conduct and don't mislead them, don't, uh, don't hurt them. Now, would you violate if you actually literally did put your foot out when a blind person was walking down the street? This is a very unusual pasuk for the following reason. The Sefer writes in Mitzvah reish lamad Beis that you would not violate the pasuk if you literally tripped a blind person which is very strange, because the Pasuk says, don't trip a blind person. So if you do what the Pasuk says, you'd not be in violation of the particular lav. It's not included in this, in this lav. And the question is, why? What happened to Ein Mikra Yotsi Pshuto? What happened to the notion that we never take away the literal or simple meaning of a Pasuk? So the Pasuk says, don't trip a blind person, and yet you can infer from the Sefer Achinach, that if you literally trip a blind person, it's not included in this. So how did the Sefer Achinach ignore the literal meaning of the Pasuk? What do you think? Any ideas? Any suggestions? No, everyone's still recovering from Pesach. It's like two <laughs> weeks later over here. Two or three weeks later. Okay. So Rabbi Salavechik has, I think, a most magnificent interpretation. I love his answer. Says the Rav, Placing a stone in front of a blind person is such a cruel, grotesque act the Torah didn't even think it's worthy of mention. It's so obvious that you shouldn't do it. It's so beyond our comprehension or our thought or our fantasy or our desire. The Torah doesn't have to say don't do something so grotesque, so barbaric, so immoral, so cruel. It didn't even have to mention it. For a Jew to act with such evil intent would cause us to question his very Jewishness. The Torah is addressing the Jewish people exclusively mentioning such a prohibition explicitly is unnecessary. Is unnecessary. Very interesting. Very interesting. So the reason the Torah that's not included is it shouldn't even be within reason. It shouldn't be within your thought process that one would do that. So therefore it has to reinterpret it to be discussing something, something different. Okay. Let's keep going. I had something else to say on Lifna Iver, but I don't remember what it is. So we keep going. Torah then tells us, You're not allowed to hate your brother. How do you control your emotions? It's one of the questions on this parish in particular, but the Torah in general. Torah mandates and legislates and regulates our conduct, our behavior. So tell me, light candles, blow a shofar, shake a love. Don't do creative labor. My actions, I understand. You can tell me to regulate. But tell me how to feel? Awe, oh, love, fear, hate. Here you have it in succession. Don't hate your brother in your heart. I love your brother. And on both we ask, how can you command me how to feel? How do you command how to feel? Many, many, many answers are given. Notice, it does not say, do not hate your brother. If your brother your sister do something harmful and hurtful to you, it's hard not to feel hatred towards them. So what's the Torah-specific command? It doesn't say, don't hate them. What does it say? Don't hate them. <laughs> don't hate them in your heart. <clears throat> Means, don't be duplicitous. Don't hate them in your heart and then be nice to them with your words. If you have a problem with someone confront them, resolve it, bring it out to the open and be able to clear the air. The prohibition specifically is bil vavecha; It's Achicha. Why should you do that? Why can't you just go hating him? I'll hate him in my heart, I'll hate her in my heart, I'll withdraw, I'll sever the relationship and I'll go on the rest of my life hating them. Why? The answer is Achicha. Losisna es Achicha. If a person has two children who are fighting or one hurt the other, you say... You need to make up, you got to bury this, you got to figure this out and move on. Say, why? We just won't talk. The answer is achicha, because you're brothers, you're a brother and sister. There's a family rule, that's just not acceptable, that's just not tolerable. So we are to view the total Jewish people, our brothers and sisters, as brothers and sisters. So even though you write the stranger, the friend, the acquaintance, the co-worker... I don't get along what they've hurt me. I can just withdraw from the relationship. Why do I have to restore? Why do I have to resolve? But with a family member, you don't have that luxury. With a family member, you don't have to like them, but you have to love them. Like is an adjective. Love is a verb. We like the people. It's a feeling that we have towards people. Love is not a feeling. Love is a verb. Love is a series of actions. Love is loyalty, love is how you show up, love is is being devoted, love is how you treat, love is showing favor, love is giving the benefit of the doubt. Liking is an emotion, love is a series of actions. The Torah doesn't say that you have to like your neighbor. The Torah says you have to love your neighbor. Why do I have to love my neighbor? I neither like him nor love him. Why do I have to love him if I don't like him? The answer is because he's your brother. In the family, we love one another. We don't have to like one another, but we have to love one another. We have to love one another. So if we view all Jewish people, achicha, they're my brother, they're my family, I can't, hate, I can't maintain hatred in my heart. I have to resolve it, and I have to be able to love them. Losikam Velositor, velositor, don't take revenge. A mitzvah, never to take revenge. Why can't I take revenge? Someone deserves revenge, why can't I take revenge? Why can't I take revenge? So the Sefer Achinach writes, you know why you can't take revenge? Because if you take revenge, it's an act of heresy. Heresy? What does God have to do with anything? Someone hurt me, and I want to hurt them back. What does that have to do with God? Says the Sefer Achinach, if you were hurt by someone, you couldn't have been hurt unless Hashem was okay with your being hurt. For whatever reason, God determined that you needed to be hurt. So true, that other individual didn't have to be the agent or the instrument of your hurt. And if you need to hold them accountable, you should hold them accountable. So someone stole money and you want to retrieve the money. Someone hit your car and you want to hold them accountable to compensate you to fix your car. Somebody did a damage to you, you're entitled to hold them accountable for the damage. But if you now escalate beyond accountability to revenge, you are in denial that God had a role in whatever just happened. Don't be in denial. was just dealing with that with somebody who felt uh, in a business transaction, someone gave the word on a certain sale, they backed off on their word and how wrong it is. And at the end of our long conversation, I said, you're right, based on what you've told me, I think the person acted in poor faith. I think what they did is wrong. It's disappointing, it's disturbing, it's hurtful to you, and it's bothersome. But you know what else? Clearly Hashem didn't want this to go through. Because if he did, even that person with their poor intent couldn't have stopped it. So you need to, we need to We have to divide and look at things that happen to us in our life in two parallel tracks. On the one hand, if someone wronged us, we hold them accountable. On the other hand, we recognize we couldn't have been wronged if it weren't the divine will. And therefore, what's the message for us or that I shouldn't seek revenge? So Sefer HaGinnach says at the root of the prohibition of sikkim latet situr not to take revenge is to recognize that whatever happens in our lives is from Hashem. I that low life didn't have to be the mechanism through which Hashem did it. I can hold the low life accountable. But while I hold the low life accountable, at the very same time simultaneously I realize that whatever is happening to me is from Hashem. Viaftalarecha kamocha, and again we find those magic words. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Aniyashem. So I want to offer a couple suggestions what that word kamocha. I think last year we spoke about Viaftalarecha kamocha. I told you my favorite tzfasemes. I won't repeat it. You could listen again to last year's. But I want to share some new interpretations. What does it mean? Tell me to love my neighbor, I got. Love my neighbor. Why do I have to love my neighbor? Because my neighbor is my brother, my neighbor is my sister. When I love my neighbor, I'm loving a family member. And love, remember, it doesn't say like. It says love. I don't have to have feelings towards my neighbor, but I have to have actions of love, a verb towards my neighbor. What is the word kamucha er? Just tell me, vi I love your neighbor. Of course, Rabbi Akiva said, the klal gadol batorah. This is it. This is everything. When did Rabbi Akiva say that? When he came back from 24,000 funerals and giving 24,000 haspedim and paying 24,000 shiva calls, he concluded, you know, with all the other Torah I taught, the capacity to have respect and to dialogue and to disagree agreeably and to make room for others and to love others, that was his conclusion. We are in Sphira where not listening to music, and we've scruff on our face, and we're in this period of mourning for those students who didn't get that message, Rabbi Akiva concluded, that's the central message. Zekla gadol b'torah. What does the word kamocha add? Just say, V'yavtul re'echa. Love your neighbor, love your brother, love your sister. What does the word kamocha really add? The Ramban is bothered. Can you really love a neighbor as much as yourself? No one loves anyone as much as we love ourselves. And loving ourselves is healthy. Loving ourselves is good. Loving, our health, loving ourselves enables us to preserve our lives. It's actually a mitzvah. Chayech kodman. If there's a conflict between you and someone else, we just spoke about this on Shabbos. I think it was Shabbos. Neshir and If I have the one jug of water, and I'm with someone else, and if we split it, we'll both die. Should I split it? Or should I drink it? Rabbi Akiva came along and said, You drink it. That's not via t'larecha kamocha. How are you loving your friend if you won't share it with him? Because, said Rabbi Akiva, kodman, your life comes first. So on the one hand, my life comes first. So the same Rabbi Akiva who says, kodman, what happened to v'yahav t'larecha kamocha? It'll be such a beautiful display of love and devotion and loyalty that you'll both die together having split the one jug of water because there wasn't enough to save you both. It says Rabbi Akiva, no, 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 that's not, no. It's your, it's your jug of water? Chayacha <coughs> Kodman. What happened after Recha kamocha? Or says the Ramban, how can you say kamocha? Kodman. <coughs> You're never going to love someone as much as you love yourself. We always love ourselves the most. So what does it mean? So the Ramban says, to Larecha kamocha you can't truly love others as you love yourself, but you can want others to have kamocha as much as you have. Be happy for other people as happy as you are for yourself. The kamocha doesn't mean love them as much as you love yourself. What it means is, want for them as much as you want for yourself. Be happy for them as much as you're happy for yourself. Feel the pain for them as much as you feel the pain for yourself. The kamocha doesn't really mean the love. The kamocha means... Like you feel when you get something good, you're happy, be happy for your friend. Like you're sad when something negative happens to you, be sad for your friend. That's the kamocha. Nechama Lebevitz, Lavrocha quotes in a different interpretation. Kamocha has to be translated properly, she says. Kamocha doesn't mean love someone as much as you love yourself. Not only is that standard not possible, we can't fully control or regulate our emotions to love someone to that level. So what does kamocha mean and how do you fulfill the mitzvah? To understand kamocha, she says, you have to look back to when it was used earlier in the Torah. Anyone know when that word kamocha was used in Sefer Bereshus? Any Ba'kore here? When Yosef has hidden his identity from his brothers and he's holding Binyamin hostage, Yehuda steps up and approaches his brother. And what does he say? Vayigash elav Yehudah, the very beginning of Vaigash. Can I speak to you? And don't be angry. Ki? And why do I want to speak to you? ke keparo. What does the word there mean? ke keparo. Because your you are like Paro. Your authority, your greatness, your position of power. Please let me speak to you. ke keparo. Because you are like Paro. Says Necham you know what the word kamocha means? You are similar to. The Ahafta Talorecha kamocha, she retranslates brilliantly. Doesn't mean love your neighbor as yourself, but rather it means love your neighbor. Why? Kamocha. Because he or she is similar to you. Because you both possess a spark of life, a godly soul. You both have strengths and weaknesses. You both have virtues and faults. You both have things to be proud of and areas to work on because you have more in common than you know. So v'yahavta I love your neighbor. Why? Kamoha. Because the truth is you're much more similar than you even recognize. If you take time to analyze and investigate, you'll realize you have commonalities. You have similarities. So kamoha is not coming to tell us the level of v'yahavta, Kamocha is not amplifying via hafta. how much do you have to love Kamocha, as much as you love yourself. That's impossible. What is via hafta coming to tell us? It's the why. Why should you love your neighbor? Kamocha. Because the truth is you're very similar. The truth is you have similarities between the two of you. It's not a coincidence. The same Rabbi Akiva, who says, the Recha Kamocha, Zekla gadol Batora is the same Rabbi Akiva and Pirkei Avos who teaches that precious is every human being because we're created in the image of God. You know what the secret is to loving everyone? You know what the greatest similarity I have to every other human being? Is Nivra B'Tselem. We're all created in God's image. We all have a spark of God in us. (laughs) Notice, by the way, it doesn't say Chaviv Yisrael Sheh Nivra The Tiferous Yisrael in the Mishnah points out, it says Chaviv Adam doesn't say just love Jews. It doesn't say just love. There are segments of the Jewish community who think that the Goyim, you can mistreat and you can steal and you can be rude and you can cut corners. Only the Jews are created in God's image. It doesn't say Jews are created in God's image. It says, That all of humanity, all people, are created with a divine spark and in the godly image and chaviv, they are beloved to God. And so knowing that there is a spark of God in everyone is the secret to finding the ability to love him. Some it's deep, the spark of God. Others it's at the surface. It's hard. That's our that's our hard work. And that's what we have to and that's what we have to do. Okay. The um Shem Tov had another interpretation of kamocha. Baal Shem Tov had another interpretation of kamocha. And the Baal Shem Tov said the following. Does kamocha mean literally like you or not literally like you? So he says the following. Oh, beautiful interpretation. He says, l'reyacha, Love your neighbor. And then God will interact with you. Kamocha the way you interacted with your neighbor. V'yahavta l'reacha, you don't like your neighbor? Your neighbor's not perfect? Your neighbor doesn't do everything the way you want? Find the ability to love your neighbor anyone says about Hashem, and then kamocha, Hashem will imitate you. The way you behave towards others, is how Hashem will behave towards you. via l'reacha, the attitude that we bring towards others, kamocha, that's the attitude Hashem will bring towards us. And the Baal Shem says, this is also what it means in the Pasuk. Hashem tzilcha al-yad yaminecha. We say in Tehillim, Hashem tzilcha, Hashem you are my shadow, al-yad yaminecha. <coughs> what does it mean, Hashem is a shadow? Says the Baal Shem. The same way that the shadow imitates and follows and does exactly what you do, that's what a shadow is. Hashem tzilcha al-yad you want to rely on Hashem? You want Hashem to be by your side? He's your shadow. Are you reliable? Are you dependable? Are you by other people's side? Do you show up? Are you caring? Are you kind? Are you courteous? The attitude Hashem brings towards us is, ref- is reflective, is a mirror image of the attitude we bring towards others. Hashem tzilcha. Hashem, you're a shadow. V'yahav t'larecha. Kamolcha. He interacts with us kamocha based on the vi'haftal based on the attitude that we bring towards others. Okay, weiter. Almost done with our overview. And then we can go back. Then we have the prohibition of kelayim, shatnez, forbidden mixtures. We have the shivcha charufa. And then we have, when we come into the land, the mitzvah of Arla, the first three years the mitzvah of uh, Netur Ravai, the fourth year. Then we have, Ki agurit hager lo so When a stranger lives among you, don't taunt him, don't aggravate him. The most repeated mitzvah in the Torah is v'ahavtim ha'sager, is to love the stranger, the immigrant. I'm not commenting on immigration and immigration policies. Everybody <laughs> takes the Torah P'sukim and manipulates them to support whatever their political position is on immigration. But I will say, Whatever your conclusion on immigration, <coughs> it should be informed and inspired by the emphasis the Torah places on loving the stranger and the immigrant. The Torah reminds us that we were strangers and we were immigrants. And so while we have to have laws and rule and order and maybe even quotas or walls, or, and that's necessary to have a safe and sovereign nation, but as we develop policies Torah Jews, should their policies should be informed by what is the most often repeated mitzvah in the whole Torah. We're told to have honest weights and measures. Ani Hashem Because I am Hashem your God. Again, over and over, I am Hashem your God. Punishments, molech, forbidden relationships, and then the parsha ends. The land will spit us out. <coughs> Excuse me, I've developed this cold. The parsha ends holiness and kashrus, and here i want to draw your attention vivdaltam page 670 velos shaktuos sechem lachem here the torah says i've distinguished between the kosher and the non-kosher animal the kosher and the non-kosher bird and so on how do we achieve kedusha through kashrus? it's not coincidental that the laws of Machalas asuros. where does the Rambam categorize, categorize the laws of forbidden foods? His Yad Ha'chazaka, the Rambam's Mishnah Torah, is divided into 14 chapters. He named it the Mishnah Torah. We call it the Yad HaChazaka. Yad is 14. There are 14 books in the Rambam's Mishnah Torah. In which book does he place the laws of sexuality, the laws of eating? Where does he put it? The book called... Kedusha. I would have thought the book of Kedusha is Yom Kippur, Shabbos. What's in the laws of Kedusha? Sexuality, Kashrus. Why? That tells us a lot about what Kedusha really is. But I want to draw your attention to a question on this Pasuk. Because everybody knows, let's go back to Breshas, Perak When Noach has taken the animals into the Teva. And everyone knows he takes kosher, non-kosher. And how do we call the non-kosher animals when Noach takes them into Teva? Mikol Behema Tahorah Tikachlacha, Shiva Shiva Ishva Ishto, kosher animals, seven of each. Umena Behema Asher. Anyone remember? Lotahorah. Shnaim Ishvi Ishto, you bring two. When the Torah talks about bringing non kosher animals into the ark, it calls the, the non kosher animals Asher, Lotahorah. What does it not call them? Tamei, why not? So everyone knows the Gemara Pesachim, the Gemara Pesachim and Dav Gimel says I'm Reb Shulben Levi. Liola Mal Adam Davar maguna mipiv. Piv Shereigam Akasos Shmona Osi Yosv Davar Meguna Me Piv Shneamar Minat Beheim Atahora Minat Beheim Asher e'inana Tahora Asher e'inana Tahora is wasting a lot of letters. It's much more efficient to write Asher Tamea, and yet the Torah went out of its way to say not the impure animal but to say the animal that's not pure why? because the Torah did not want to utter the word impure why? because the Torah is teaching us how careful and vigilant and scrupulous and mindful we need to be with our words we don't use inappropriate incorrect words not only the ones that technically are curses but even the ones that are close to curses we are not loose or casual with our language Language is a gift, it's what differentiates us from animals, it's what reflects our godliness. And so, every Musar Shmuz about Nivopeh begins with this Gemara, that the Torah, bless you, didn't say Tamei Tmeya, it wasted space to say, Asher Enana Tahora. All to tell us that we don't use inappropriate words, which begs the question, which begs the question, Over here it says, Tame. Words matter. You know who was a big advocate that words matter? Lubavitcher Rebbe Zetzal. Rebbe was very careful about words. It bothered him a lot. But words matter. For example, they asked his support for a hospital. And he said he would give his name and lend his support for the hospital on one condition. That it would not be called a Beit Cholim. It'd be called a Beit Rifuah. He you call it a building for sick people, What does it do to the morale of the people in the building? It's not a building for sick people, it's a building for healing. If you name it a building for curing, for healing, I'll support it. But if you call it a building for sick people, I don't want anything to do with it. But there are countless examples. Telushkin in his biography on the Rebbe, I think has a whole chapter of the examples of where the Rebbe was very careful. Not a Beit Cholim, a Beit Refua. Not Kiruv, we call it outreach, The Rebbe was very against outreach. Outreach suggests, I've arrived, I'm in the right place, and you're in the wrong place. So I'm going to reach out and drag you from your wrong place to my right place. The Rebbe was very against. It's not called outreach. Background. I think I mentioned this last week. The Rebbe was against somebody. You'd say about a Jew, they don't have a background. You'd say they're not a child of Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov. Of course they have a background. So we see every schmooze about nevopeh, about the power of language. So the question is, what do you mean in Parshah's Noah we say to emphasize that we don't use negative language, that we don't use inappropriate or even borderline inappropriate. We don't even want to use the word Tameh. And yet here, Parshas Kedoshim now we're using Tameh. This question is asked by the Sefer Tam Vidas. And he says, I heard from a great person who will remain nameless, Dabrin a very nice idea. Anyone have a suggestion? No. Okay. We'll hear from the, the Gadol Echad. He said in Parshas Noach, it wasn't consequential for the Torah to report the nature of the animals that entered the Teva. Because Pashas Noach is a historical record about what happened. So that was the appropriate passage to communicate the message that we have to be careful with our words. But now at the end of Parshat Kedoshim, it's not reporting a historical event. It's not a narrative. The Torah is telling us what to do. When it comes to telling us what to do, don't be nuanced with your words. Say it out. Be explicit. Be careful. If you want others to heed what you're saying, don't dance around the words to make some nuanced message. Say what needs to be said so that it will be observed. So Tam quotes a Gadol Achad, Who answered, true, that message was in Parshas Noach, because we had the luxury in Noah of being able to communicate that message. But here at the end of Kedoshim, we don't have that luxury. At the end of Kedoshim, we need to be told an instruction. And when it comes to communicating an instruction, you better do so explicitly. Let's go back to the beginning of the Parshim. Kedoshim to you. Be holy. What is holiness? What is Kedoshim to you? Be holy. What does that mean to Be holy. And how can we be told, be holy? What if I don't have the potential for holiness? What if it's beyond me, holiness? How can I be holy? How can I be holy? So of Shmuel Razovsky, the Russian Hashiv of Ponovitch, Zatzal, explains that there was never a thought. Because really this question is compounded. Kedoshim to you. Ki kadosh lo Be holy because I am holy. And the Medrash elaborates. Medrash says, Kiddushim to you, Kamoni. You might think that your holiness needs to be like mine. Tamad Lomar Kikadosh Ani. For I am holy. si Lamala mi Then my holiness is greater than yours. It's a strange Medrash. Why would I have thought that my holiness could be like God's? Why does God have to go out of his way to say, You can be holy, but it's not going to be like mine? What is holiness? What's going on in the beginning of our Pasha? So the Panovich Rosh Hashim Ravazovsky explains that it means, I might have thought that I imitate his model of Kedusha. What is Hashem's model of Kedusha? Separation and isolation. He is above. He's disconnected. He's transcendent. He's inaccessible. He's independent from the world. He's independent from society. Yes, we try to give him Dira B'tachton and we try to draw Hashem down and give him residence here down on earth. But a Kodesh Baruch who is ephemeral, a Kodesh Baruch who is omnipotent, omniscient, infinite, all knowing, all powerful, all great, and all inaccessible to us. So I might have thought, what's holiness? Locking myself in an ivory tower, being independent and apart and isolated from the world and from society, and taking a vow of abstinence and a vow of silence and a vow of loneliness. And maybe that's holiness. Yachel Kamoni! You might think you become holy by imitating me. That's Talmud Lomar. No. We have different means of holiness. Pusik's telling us that the Mej's Hashem's sanctity transcends ours. Only Hashem achieves Kedusha apart from. Our Kedusha is not by being apart from, but our Kedusha, Davka, is by being part of. And says Rozovsky. How do you know that? Look at the Pasuk. How does it begin? The mandate of Kedoshim Tiyu is introduced. How is it introduced? Taber al Kol Adas Bnei Why does it say, speak to the whole congregation? Why does this mitzvah have to be specifically presented to everybody? And even if it's presented to everybody, <coughs> why not to Bnei Yisrael? Why Adas Yisrael? Why the extra word? It's atypical. It's atypical. So the Kliyakar points out here that the word Eda means a minion. Whenever we learn Eda from, Eda hara hazos. Who was the Eda hara? The maragum. The maragum. How do we know a minion? We learn a minion from the maragum. How many maragum were there? Twelve. So why don't we need twelve in order to Davan? Because two of them were good. Yeshua and Kalev were good. Subtract Yeshua and Kalev, you have ten. Ten are called an Eda Hara. You see, an Ada is ten. For a minion, you need ten. I'll present to you a question for Pasha Shlach. I don't know where you or I will be Parsha Shlach. And if we'll have a Parsha class. But I'll give you the question. Why in the world would you learn a minion from Maraglam? The maraglim, the consequence of the maraglim, was forty years in the midbar. These are not exactly our paragons, paradigms. These are not our role models. So when we're trying to learn, what is the source that you need a minion for a Doversha bkdusha to daven to say kaddish to say kedusha for a wedding, funeral? We learn minion from the maraglim. I'll give you an answer, Parsha Parshishlach. So. So, kidoshem to you. Hashem says, be holy. And what's holiness, says Reshmael Rezovsky? Hashem's holiness is that He's a part from. Our holiness is rooted in being part of. And that's why the mitzvah to specifically be given, koladaspine Yisrael, a community in a minion. And now read the rest of the parsha. Kibar pay Pe Aleket Geneva, how you treat the ger. The whole parsha is how you treat one another. Because you know where Kiddush is found? Not when you hide in a corner of the shul and Zug all day and take a vow of abstinence and a vow of celibacy and a vow of loneliness and a vow and a vow and a vow. That's not holiness. You know what holiness is? Be a farmer and work the field and leave some for the poor. Have friends and don't speak Lashon about them. Connect with strangers and don't aggravate them. Love them. Run a business and be honest with your weights and measures. Have parents and show them respect and gratitude. Adas ben Yisrael. The Kedoshim T was fulfilled not by following God's model of holiness, by being apart from, but rather by being part of. Part of the community, ingrained and intertwined, and fully participating with the community, and doing so in a moral and ethical, doing so with Torah values and principles, doing so in a way that expresses our tzelam elokim, our godliness. That's how we achieve kedusha, says Rav Shemur Rozovsky, Rav Shkap, who was a Rosh Hashiva at Yeshiva University. For about two minutes, but I'd like to quote that as his biography. <laughs> Much more associated as the Rashiv of Grodna. In his introduction, his haktometer, Sefer Shari Osher, has another pshat. What does it mean? I think I'm holy like God. What's going on? What's going on over here? It says of along the similar lines, he says, Kedusha is not how we present ourselves. The core of holiness is how we care and what we do for others. The Yahu Kamoni is, I might think, I have to care about others to the degree that God does. How does God care about others? God is the ultimate of selflessness. He's pure altruism. So I might think that I too need to have such a high level of pure altruism. We are incapable of a pure altruism. We could be kind, we could be benevolent, we can care about others. We cannot care about them to the extent or to the level that Hashem. That's Kedusha Silama'a Mikdusha Why? Because we still have Chayacha Kodman. We are programmed to advance our interests and needs. But you know what does the most to advance our interest or need? To care about others. That's what's incredible of Kedusha. Kedushim to you, care about others as altruistically as God. No. That's impossible. But still care about others and that's how we live lives of of holiness. The benefits of volunteering have been found to be greater than even taking up exercise. Serving others is a greater health than giving up smoking. A study found that when people were given a sum of money, they gained more well-being and happiness if they spent it on other people or gave it away rather than spending it on themselves. So... There's a tinge, a lack of altruism, there's a kickback we get from caring about others, and that's okay, because Kedusha God's holiness is at a whole altogether different level. But yet, our Kedusha is rooted. Our Kedusha is all about caring about the people around us. In our davening we say, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, but we end the first Baruch of the Amidah with Magain Avraham. What happened to Yitzchak and Yaakov? What happened to Yitzchak and Yaakov? Rabbi Yudin just celebrated his 50th year in Fairlon. Rabbi Yudin suggests, you know why? Because Yitzchak and Yaakov, Torah and Avodah, they're important. Very important. But the foundation for achieving Kedushah before you get to Torah and Avodah is Gamilas chasadim. So we ask Hashem, Magain Avram. Hashem, preserve the capacity to care about others in me. Magain. Preserve in me that capacity that intuition, that instinct, that leiv tov, that good heart to care about others. And on a foundation of caring about others, a holiness of caring about others, on that you can build a life of Torah and of Avodah. So very similar to Rav and and Rav Shemur Shkaf, the, the definition of what Kedusha really is. What Kedusha really is. Winston Churchill said, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And a life of kedusha, a life of holiness, is not achieved by what we get. A life of holiness is by what we give. There's a lot more of Schechter's beautiful essay and his Sefer on the Parsha on this as well. But we are out of time, wishing you a wonderful day.